Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavior science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Picture this scenario. Out of the blue, you face an ambiguous and uncertain situation, and of course, you quickly try to solve it. You anticipate all types of scenarios and try to prepare for each one of them in your head. Without realizing, you are worrying and consumed with anxiety. Worry is primarily a thought-based process, and that's what makes it tricky. We all worry from time to time. It's unavoidable. But playing it safe by worrying all the time can take a hefty toll on your well-being, happiness, and relationships. In this episode, I interview Dr. Chad Lejeune. We discuss the subtleties of worrying, what keeps worry cycles, and the importance of developing a new relationship with your mind. In the second part of the interview, I share with Chad an unexpected situation I encountered. And we use that as an opportunity to discuss micro skills to manage uncertainty, what if thoughts, reassurance seeking, and information seeking behaviors. I really hope you find this episode helpful, and I want to encourage you to subscribe to the newsletter Playing It Safe. So you are the first one to know when new episodes are released, new blog posts are published, upcoming online courses, and discounts. Every Wednesday, I share with all of you new resources to stop blindly playing it safe so you can start doing more of what really, really matters to you. To subscribe to the newsletter Playing It Safe, you need to go to my website, www.thisisdrz.com. I wish you a great day and see you next week. Bye-bye. You have been working with anxiety for quite a while by now. And what I'm hoping in this episode is to learn more about your take and your approach and how you deliver ACT skills, acceptance and commitment therapy skills in that treatment of worry. So let me start by asking the first question. For people who don't know much about worry or don't know too much about anxiety, how would you define worry these days? How would you explain to them what worry is and how they can catch worry? That's a really great question. And it's really what I start with, with my patients in that, um, you know, what's tricky about worry is it's thought-based and Mm -hmm. we think all the time. We're constantly thinking, even when we're sleeping, we are thinking, right? When we're dreaming. And so there's a tendency to treat all of our thoughts equally, Mm -hmm. right? And 
being able to identify and define thoughts that are not helpful, right, is very important. And so having a clear definition of worry or obsession, right, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is very critical. And, and I think that if a, a, an individual is not able to notice that they are worrying, then they're not going to be able to do anything else about it, right? It's the first step, right? And so um, I have a very sort of functional definition of worry um, in that uh, worry is by definition non-productive, mm -hmm. right? And that nothing actually is coming out of the thought process mm -hmm. other than anxiety, mm -hmm. right? So um, th the thing is that it's um, very helpful to think about the future, right? That's part yeah. of our success as a species mm -hmm. is that we can imagine the future and predict future events. And that's great. Um, and so a useful way to do that, a couple of useful ways. One is planning, right? We can mm -hmm. anticipate uh, and, and plan for the future. Uh, the other thing is sort of problem solving. We have a difficulty. We can roll over the problem, look at it from different angles and imagine possible solutions to that problem. So these things are both very productive. And so if we're you know, actually planning or problem solving, at the end of that process, we have a plan or we have a list of possible solutions, right? So there's output to the process and that's what makes it productive. Worry, so sort of by definition, can look, it can look a lot like planning and problem solving because we're thinking about the future, we're going over it you know, from different perspectives, right? Um, but there's nothing coming out of the process, right? Mm -hmm. so I, I like to use the metaphor of, um, you know, uh, if you have a three-year-old who wants to make cookies uh, and he or she goes into the kitchen and grabs the big mixing bowl and pours some flour in there and, you know, maybe pours some milk in there and dumps a bunch of sugar in there and kind of blends it all up and it gets all over the kitchen and you walk in and you say, oh my God, what are you doing, right? And the child says, I'm making cookies, right? <laughs> Unless cookies come out of that process, in fact, this kid is not making cookies, right? It feels <laughs> like it, it looks like it, right? Yes. But we need to be able to define a process by the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, a good way to, to notice is if you're worrying, versus problem solving or planning is if you take a piece of paper and you sort of jot down what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. In this process, at the end, if you have a plan or you have some possible solutions, then you've been planning or, or problem solving. Mm -hmm. But if at the end, you know, you're more upset than you were when you started, you've probably just been worrying, right? <sighs> so, yeah, the other way to kind of understand worry is it is uh, thinking about the future, uh, but also having fight or flight activation while that's going on, right? That's so it's actually responding to the process with more anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the the thoughts, uh, far from being helpful at helping you to, to you know protect yourself from future problems or to move forward in, in resolving something, the thoughts themselves become a trigger for more fearfulness. That's right, that's right. I think one of the characteristics to catch worry is repetition, right? When we're thinking over and over about the same content without taking action, 
without doing anything about it, right? We get stuck in our heads. Absolutely. It, it, it's sort of like if you, uh, you know, get into your car and you start the engine and then you put it in neutral and you just press on the gas for an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Until the tank is empty, right? <laughs> but you haven't gone anywhere, right? That's really what worry is all about, right? You can feel exhausted and depleted, but there's been no action associated with this process, right? And so it's, uh, you know, it's not helpful by definition at a minimum and can be even harmful. Yeah, yeah, it is true. I think it can be exhausting. It can be debilitating. You feel tired. You may have mental fatigue. Now, sometimes people have these beliefs about worry. I may hear things like, if I don't worry about something bad happening, I won't be prepared. Worry helps me to be prepared. Worry helps me to cope with the unknown. How do you relate to those thoughts? We call them metacognitions within acceptance and commitment therapy. They're also known as ruling thoughts. They are rules about worry and they are quite rigid. What skills do you teach clients when you hear things like that? Right. So what I found to be really helpful uh, is, is to sort of look at the, um, the sort of implicit assumption behind those beliefs, which is that there is a power in, in thinking itself, that thoughts have the ability to impact events mm-hmm. uh, in and of themselves. And, and so I think, you know, what you're describing is sort of a superstitious uh, belief that if I worry, that the worry itself will somehow uh, inoculate me or prepare me or protect me yeah. from bad things, right? Um, and so, you know, people sort of become addicted to worry as almost a ritual that will magically protect them and safeguard them. Mm-hmm. And, and most rules, you know, uh, that, that, are, um, that govern, govern the way we relate to our thoughts are very much about this sort of magical way of thinking. And so I like to sort of start with a conversation with people about um, you know, sort of how our species uh, has developed a relationship with our ability to think, right? Yeah. That, that uh, our thoughts certainly have given us an edge, uh, evolutionarily speaking. Mm-hmm. But um, because we sort of live in this duality, right, we have the experience of the outside world of what we think of as reality, which involves uh, our actions and their consequences, right? And we, we have the power to impact events in the world of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to tell a story of, um, you know, the er- early, early human, right? Who has a goat in the meadow, uh, you know, and the goat is grazing in the meadow. Uh, and it's my favorite goat. I love this goat. And at night, when I'm sleeping, you know, down the mountain in my hut, right, um, I think about the wolf that might come to the meadow and kill mm-hmm. my goat. Mm-hmm. And when I imagine that wolf, it makes me very anxious, yeah. right? Um, the, the, the thing is, though, that as I'm lying in my bed in my hut, the wolf is a thought. It's an inside wolf. It's not an outside wolf, right? But it makes me anxious anyway, because I'm worried about my goat. And so in the middle of the night, I come from the hut, I run up the mountain, 
to see if my goat is safe, right? Mm -hmm. And the goat is safe, right? Uh, and, and there's no wolf around, right? And so I feel, I feel better, right? Um, and so what have I done, right? I've taken some action to protect my goat from this wolf that was only in my head to begin with, right? It was a thought, it was a thought. <laughs> so, so eventually I decide, you know, rather than getting out of the hut, I think what I'll do mm. is I will, I'll just think about the wolf and I'll say, you know, wolf, wolf, go away, right? And mm -hmm. I just imagine the wolf going away and then I feel better, right? Mm -hmm. like, and then I don't have to run up the hill, right? Um, but I actually haven't really, you know, done anything except get rid of the wolf in my head. So it can become very confusing, right? Where yeah. we can start to interact with our thoughts. And what we're really trying to do is to dispel the thought or the worry, but we're actually not addressing the reality. And maybe the reality doesn't even need to be addressed. So we lose a sense of where we can have actual impact, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so this, you know, OCD is really, you know, a ritual. So maybe I, I say not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, right? And I say it three times and that gets rid of the wolf in my head, right? Yeah. And this is how, uh, you know, we've developed sort of a sense of magic uh, mm -hmm. and superstition in our culture. It's all based on trying to control the real world by controlling our thoughts, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is very, very tricky, right? And that leads me to another question, Chad. I think behind all types of anxiety struggles, there is this very important skill, which is developing a new relationship with our mind, a relationship in which we don't take our thoughts seriously. We don't take our thoughts as the absolute truth. And I think you and I were on the same page around that, because if we take every single thought as the absolute truth, I will be every single night running to rescue the goat, right? Like every night, <laughs> I will be super tired the next day. Because our mind will come up with all types of content, scary content, wonderful content, and all types of dangerous thoughts and dangerous images. As you're working with your clients, is there any other skill you teach them to develop this new relationship with their mind? So they don't hold their thoughts so much as the absolute truth and they don't become prisoners of all those thoughts and they don't fit into these worry loops. So you used a very important word there, which is relationship, right? Yes. Developing a new relationship with your mind. And, and that's really what uh, the metacognitive focus is on right it's not about changing the thought it right. it it makes sense for us to think about the wolf right mm -hmm. uh and, and it's a risk and and we will that we need to be able to think about risks right and the anxious mind is is sort of programmed to think about risk and it will continue to do that no matter what right so it's not about changing your mind right yeah. it's about changing your relationship to those thoughts the thing is it takes a lot of humility to do this uh, in some ways, because we, we really rely on our thoughts and we identify with our thoughts as, as part of ourselves, right? This is me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is what I'm thinking. And so I, I want to trust what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And so often that works for us, right? So I, I had the thought that I had an appointment with you this morning and I mm -hmm. opened my laptop and here we are, right? So my thoughts help me most of the mm -hmm. time, yeah. right? And so we, we're, you know, most of my patients, they're a little uncomfortable with the idea of not trusting their own yeah. thoughts, yeah. right? And, and so 
I really try to focus on that relational aspect in that, you know, could you have a friend who is a good friend who you trust and rely on, but who sometimes, you know, gets worked up about things that are actually things that you don't really need to worry too much about, right? And, and can you sort of have a relationship with this friend where you, you, know, you like the friend and you rely on them, but, but you don't believe everything they say. And sometimes you just listen and say, well, I hear you, right? But, but I think it's okay, right? You know, is, is there room for you know, having this relationship with our thoughts where you know, we honor the thoughts and we even say, I appreciate that you're concerned about mm -hmm. me and my safety or my goat, right? Mm -hmm. that, this is mm -hmm. great, right? Um, but where we make decisions on how to act based on other information as well, yeah. right? Not just the opinion of this very dear friend, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of times sort of framing it that way, it, it sidesteps having a struggling sort of contentious relationship with our thoughts. So, so often uh, with worry, the way worry becomes obsessing is that people are trying to talk themselves out of the worry, right? And that becomes a ritual. And so it becomes, you know, this fight over uh, what are the thoughts going to say? And if we can let go of that fight, and I'm gonna let my thoughts say what they say. They yeah. say, they say, you know, the, the wolves are everywhere and the goat is, is just toast, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, but that's what they always say. And so I, I'm gonna accept that, that that's what they say. Uh, but I'm I'm not going to run to the meadow every night because that doesn't really work for me. I've got other things to do, right? right. Um, and so I'm just going to have this sort of different relationship uh, with this part of my mind that seems to be, you know, overly concerned about the goat <laughs> or the wolf, right? Um, and so so it sidesteps, you know, having to change our thoughts, right? And it also, it, you know, it helps us to get out of that loop of of just you know struggling to control because the idea that we have to eliminate negative thoughts yeah is again the buying into the idea that somehow our thoughts are are so important and that they're going to affect reality that's right, right. i don't know where we learn that I don't know yes. where we learn that right that i can control reality with my mind and, right and, you know i think actually uh the field of psychology for a long time has fed into that right the idea of you know, we must have positive thoughts and right. uh you know you know it's it's really about changing your thinking and having a different attitude and um and maybe not maybe it's not quite about that maybe it's a little more subtle that's right times have changed right uh, you know sometimes i think of our mind as this overly protective nagging friend right mm -hmm. that is constantly checking how we're doing making sure that we're safe make sure that we have everything and it's constantly telling us watch out and we all have friends like that in our life we also right. have significant others like that in our life right so i think this idea of radically acknowledging that the mind will have that function in our life to be overly protective sometimes more than other times can really liberate us, right? Because we don't have to wrestle with that, but we can develop a harmonious relationship with this overly protective mind of ours. So I think that makes a huge difference, especially when dealing with worry. Now, will it be okay with you if I share a recent struggle I had? And maybe you can walk me through it. I'm very intrigued. 
Okay, so here's the situation. I went to the annual conference of the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Association. This year was in Cyprus. And I was going back and forth between Cyprus and Greece. I was teaching workshops in different locations, super cool. But then guess what? My luggage got stuck in Athens. And I was in another island in Greece without my luggage for four days. So you can imagine, you know, how I was. (laughs) Totally, totally unexpected. And I'm waiting like everyone for my luggage. And I'm like, where's my luggage? Where is it? Where is it coming? One hour passed by. When I went to check what happened, they tell me, well, you know, your luggage is lost. Playing like that, right? Your luggage is lost. lost. (laughs) At least you know, right? Now you know exactly where it is. It's lost. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I hear the words. My eyes got open. And the next word that comes out of my mouth is, what? <laughs> Doubly unexpected. Life comes with those moments, right? Unexpected and planned moments. And the woman says, well, you need to file a form. You need to file a report. And we will try to see what happened with the luggage. And all what I say again is, you will try to see what happened with the luggage. <laughs> you will try to see what happened. I had nothing besides the bag that I had with me, with my laptop, the iPad, a tiny bag of cosmetics, and that's it. Wow. That was it. I had nothing else. The charger for my laptop was in the luggage. Oh, no. Goodness. <laughs> tragedy. It was a Greek tragedy in that moment. A Greek tragedy. Um, I love it. <laughs> a Greek tragedy, right? In the summer, in the midst of the summer. Uh, but here's where it comes interesting in terms of what our mind does. Of course, my mind starts running all types of scenarios. Will they find the luggage? How am I going to get a new charger? What happened with the luggage? Can I teach my next workshop without a charger? What if they don't find the luggage when I have to leave this island and I have to go to my next destination? Do I need to change my ticket? And of course, I was feeling, you know, quite anxious, right? Like my mind was just going on and on with all types of scenarios. So if you were next to me in that moment and you can see what my mind is going through, what would you encourage me to do? How would you you coach me through that moment? So people listening to us, they can get a sense of how they can use micro skills. Right. So... Part of what, what is wonderful about the story, what's really interesting about it, um, is that there's mystery in this story, yes. right? And in and, and that, um, you know, very often we don't have a lot of mystery in our lives, right? That, that we sort of know. So, so for example, uh, I think this happens in particular when we're at home. Uh, you know that if you open this particular cabinet, you will find the cereal, right? And you know, the coffee is over here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the laundry detergent is in another room, right? Mm-hmm. There's no mystery. But when we leave that home and that, that realm of comfort, we're in control of so many things and we go far away, we may find ourselves in, faced with the mystery. Well, where is you know my laptop charger? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be anywhere in the world. So this is this is ambiguity, right? This is yeah. uncertainty and, yes. and the unknown. Mm-hmm. And whether we realize it, realize it or not, we deal with ambiguity every day and we're dealing it, right. with it right now. 
because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I, I can tell you, I just planned recently in the past few weeks, a trip to Maui, right? <laughs> so, you know, obviously I didn't know, right? What was gonna happen the next day, right? right. So, so we don't realize and we don't know that our life is full of mystery all the time, yes. right? And so when someone says your luggage is lost, basically mystery has entered your life unexpectedly, mm -hmm. right? And that the word lost means your luggage could be anywhere in the world, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. In other words, we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the anxious brain, right, has evolved to see ambiguity and uncertainty and the unknown as a threat and a danger, right. as, as it was at one time, right? We didn't know uh, if we're walking in the forest and something's coming through the bushes, we don't know what it is. And if we don't know what it is, we're not gonna be prepared for it, right? Mm -hmm. so, so part of what's going on is your mind is trying to prepare for bad things that may happen. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And that could actually be helpful. Uh, it, it, you know, you're sort of having certain thoughts where you're trying to solve this puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. so that's one response to that mystery, right? Mm -hmm. is, is to prepare for eventualities, right? Mm -hmm. So what if they, they don't find my luggage by the time I go to my next destination? Do I need to change my ticket, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how can I charge my laptop? Right. Mm -hmm. So so these are productive thoughts that these can lead to ways of solving this puzzle. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to notice that those are helpful. And what can really mm -hmm. help a lot is to pick up a pad and pencil and start to write some of these things down. And if there are questions mm -hmm. that have answers that you can find, then these are useful. Mm -hmm. thoughts, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then what the mind also does with a mystery is it develops narratives. Right. To fill in the space. So, so when we don't know what's going on, we try to come up with stories about it, right? Mm -hmm. And this is part of what's so entertaining in this golden era of streaming television about a Netflix series, right? So we're watching this, this show that has 10 episodes. And the reason we keep watching is because we want to know what's going to happen, right? It's That's a right. mystery. Right. And, you know, so we have these narratives, right? Uh, will the protagonist, you know, find his lover, right? And will they come together? Or will, you know, will the villain kill somebody, right? What's going to happen? And so our brain makes up stories. Mm -hmm. And that happens as well. So you have the lost luggage mystery. And so you might imagine that somewhere along the line, you know, your, your luggage came open, and that the contents of your suitcase are spread out on a conveyor belt, and maybe went to different countries, you know, perhaps mm -hmm. some of your luggage is in on one continent and some of your luggage is on another, right? Um, you know, you know, maybe your underwear ended up on the floor in some back room of an airport. <laughs> That's right. right. You know, there are all sorts of things that you could imagine happen. And, and it's normal for the brain to try to fill in the in the blanks, right? Because we want to know what's the story, right? Of course. Those, those sort of sort of things are not so helpful, right? What, what, what that's doing is creating more plot twist and yeah. more anxiety and interest, which is wonderful if you're developing a Netflix series right. on your lost, lost luggage, right? That other people might want to watch, but you're not going to find it entertaining or helpful, right? So I think it's a good way to make that distinction is when we are 
thinking about solving a puzzle that will uh, give us ideas of actions we can take, mm-hmm. that's productive problem solving, mm-hmm. right? Because you need to mm-hmm. problem solve when you lose your luggage. You need to come up with things to do uh, right. to solve this very big problem. But when you're then imagining all the other bad things that might happen or things that are, you know, trying to guess what's going on with your luggage, you're probably going to come upon things to worry about that you really don't need to worry about or that it's not going to help you to worry about. So I think having that in mind, am I coming up with narratives and stories Mm -hmm. or am I coming up with uh, possible solutions, right? Mm -hmm. So holding yourself accountable, again, it's about the outcome of that process of thought. That's right, that's right. It gets tricky because our mind sometimes comes with these very coherent narratives, right? Just to fill the gaps, as you're saying, it has to make sense of the unknown. It has to come up with a story that somehow makes sense. And the story can be really out there from what's really happening, right? And holding into the story rigidly as the absolute truth that also keep us stuck, right? Then we start worrying more and more. Let me ask a follow-up question. While I was waiting to know what was going on with my luggage, I did the best I could to move on with things and stay present, try to buy some things that I could. Um, and, and I call a couple of times and you call these lines and you hear a robot and then you have to call again, right? <laughs> and then you call again and then you feel like a loser because you're calling again. <laughs> Waiting well, by the phone. <laughs> I know, waiting by the phone. You're thinking you five cups of coffee. Um, while I was doing all that, I knew that there was so much I could do. I had to call, fill out that report, check that email to see if they have the report. I needed to find a charger for the laptop or borrow a charger or buy a charger. Then the rest of the time, I have to figure out how do I go to the next hour, the next activity. I was very clear, right? There are things we have control of. There are things we don't have control of. Far from ideal, right? But life is about living. It's not about getting stuck in our head. But one of the behaviors that keeps people stuck with worrying is excessive information seeking. They are Googling, they are calling, they're asking others what should I do. What would you advise? If people go into excessive information seeking, asking others for reassurance so they know what to do, what will you encourage them to do? So I think that that very often people will continue to do this without realizing what they're doing. And and so I I think information seeking is too neutral of a term because that's they're not looking for any information right they're looking for good news they're looking for reassuring information that's more accurate that's more accurate so so part of uh what's helpful is to realize that we have developed a reassured reassurance seeking technology called google right and so when we have something that's very uncertain and we're living you know, with uh, a question in our head, we will go to Google to try Mm -hmm. to find not just any information, but to try to find a better narrative than the one that we're thinking of, right? So, So you actually got all the information you needed 
from the first person you talked to when she told you that your luggage was lost, right? So there it is. It's lost, right? And, and so... <laughs> Brutal reality, capital letters, it's lost. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's a whole television show, right? That, that was based on that, that very word, right? Um, and, and most people watching it felt that way. They felt very lost, right? What is, what is going on here? There's, there's a lack of clarity here. Um, and so that word lost was not a satisfying narrative for you, right? And so you were looking for a better narrative to replace it, right? Yeah. And so that's part of what you're searching for is another story that's better than this unsatisfying, open-ended story, which is, I don't know. Right. Very mm -hmm. often the answer the world gives us is who knows, maybe. Right. Right. So many things we live with that as an answer. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're just satisfied with that. So we go to Google and we look for something else. Right. You know, people do it when they're I have a scratchy throat, you know, and, and I have uh, this bump on my head. Yeah. I Google that. What does that mean? Right. What can that be? Um, and I'm looking for a narrative. Right. Unfortunately, what we find with Google and, and other places is other narratives that <laughs> are, are no more satisfying than the one we started with and even worse, right? Yeah, I've often because they're constructed by other anxious people, right? Mm -hmm. Who are, are worst case scenario thinkers. And so what ends up happening is we get more information, but rather than reassure us, it gives us more to worry about, right? Um, maybe you find this website that shows, you know, all the the, um, you know, the, 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 the some <laughs> island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean made up of lost luggage. Right? You see the seagull sitting on your suitcase, right? Um, that's that's not necessarily a better narrative than, you know, it's lost and maybe it'll show up at some point, right? Who knows? Right? But I think it's it's realizing that what we are looking for with more information is a better story, right? And the solution is not to come up with a better story because we could make a, up a better story without Googling, right? We That's could just right. think of something really sunny, right? Yeah. Absolutely, mm -hmm. right? I, I'm sure I'll see my luggage tomorrow morning when I go down for breakfast, right? I'm <laughs> sure of it, right? And no, maybe- I feel it, I feel it. Right, exactly. Um, but I don't think it really changes anything, you know, in terms of the real world. So I think it's, it's instead, you're finding a way to open ourselves up to mystery right? Mm -hmm. that, 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 you know, there is, there's this thing that I don't know, and can I become more comfortable with not knowing? Mm -hmm. And that can serve us in so many ways, right? It, it could open the door to you getting a whole new wardrobe, for example, right? Uh, you know, maybe. Um, it, it's, it allows us to be more creative and to be more flexible uh, and, and put in a position to respond better to things as they unfold. Yeah, yeah. So if I have to share the outcome of this Netflix series. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Yes, what happened? Well, a couple of things. I can tell you that my appreciation for clean clothes, my appreciation for shoes that fit me, you know, went up. Right? <laughs> Uh, my appreciation for having a backup charger also was there, right? <laughs> the luggage show up four days later when I was getting ready to leave to the next destination. <laughs> well, so just in time, right? Just in time, right? But it was, I think, um, 
I'm glad that we talk about it because it really was one of those things that a lot of us go through in life, which is just dealing with these unknown, unexpected, ambiguous, and unplanned situations. And we can expect that the mind will do all types of things to solve the situation, to solve the struggle. And hopefully, right from this conversation, people listening to us can learn skills about helpful to manage the distress versus perpetuating cycles of worry, right? Which is not taking action or searching a lot for information or searching good news, as you're saying, <laughs> searching for this good news, this new narrative. Let me switch gears a little bit if it's okay. So time goes so fast. Here we are close to the end. And Chad, I'm curious today if you were to have a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, a cup of mushroom coffee or a delicious scotch or a beer with any person you want today, who will that be and why? Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> Here we are with that question. So I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm going to give you a very roundabout answer, but what this, what this question makes me think a little bit of is um, my partner and I have this ongoing discussion. If you could travel in time, Mm-hmm. If you could have that gift, but you're only allowed to travel to the past or to the future. You can't mm-hmm. choose. You can't go back and forth, right? You, you you can go back to the past as many times as you want, or you can go to the future as many times. Which way would you go, right? <laughs> and um, and it's a very interesting question because I find people have different answers, and it often reflects their interest in history, yeah. right? Uh, and and uh, yeah, so, so my partner often says that he would want to go to the future because he's so curious about how different things will turn out. Do you know what I mean? I um, and, and, and he wants to find answers to certain questions, right, uh, that only lie in the future. He says, we know all about the past. There's nothing to be learned from history. Right? <laughs> That's good. I know. That's good. That's good. We know Different perspective. So, so I'm a big history buff. I, I I live in the past. I'm, I'm, and I'm nostalgic about the past, even nostalgic mm-hmm. about an era before I was alive. You know, mm-hmm. and and I'm not sure why, but I, I just feel that um, that that there is. Uh, I want to have more of an understanding of mm-hmm. of the past, uh, and so so I would definitely want to talk to a historical figure. Right? Mm-hmm. Many people come to mind, but but the person who popped in my head when you asked the question is Winston Churchill. Oh, wow. um, I'm, I'm very interested in World War II. Uh, so much of what's going on in the world today is still the fallout from World War II, right? And, and everything that followed immediately after that. And he was someone who um, had a really unique perspective on all of that, um, mm-hmm. who was a pivotal figure in the outcome of that conflict. Um, it's, and um, I would just want to, I want to know more about his personality and how it's maybe different from what uh, has been handed down to us in, in his public image, which was very cultivated, right? Uh, yeah. So I want to get a peek behind that facade. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd be really interested in hearing just what he thought, um, not so much about the social political situation, mm-hmm. but about us as people. Um, as as a a world, because he was he was involved with with a fight that the whole world was having with itself in some ways about you know sort of who we were um, and and who we were going to be as human beings right mm-hmm. um, and and I was just really interested in sort of uh, you know hearing his take on humanity 
-hmm. in many ways. I, I, I just think he is a figure who looms large in recent history. And I think that there's a lot of answers in the past mm -hmm. uh, if, if, we, if we look for them, right? And I think so often it, it kind of fits with our theme of worry. We're looking for answers in the future. <laughs> we want to know the future and it will always be unknowable to us. But guess what? The past is available to some extent, right? Um, and that there's actually a lot that we can learn from it, right? Uh, and, and so I would definitely want to talk to someone from the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's one of many figures that comes to mind. See, that's such a lovely response, Chad. I think that's right. That I am curious what he will say. I didn't grow up in this country. But as I get exposed to American history and learn about him, I think there is so much this edited version that we have of who he was. Right. So I'm right. curious who will be behind the scenes, behind the persona that history books are sharing with us today. That, that That's was what's great about your question. It, it's having coffee. It's an intimate encounter, right? Yes. Uh, which is different from hearing someone give a speech, right? Uh, you really get more of a feel. That's right. Yes, it's very, it's, I think there is something different about getting to know people for who they are, not for what they do. Right. Right? I think there's a lot of what we do, but who is the person behind all that doing? I think your conversation with him will tap into that. <laughs> well, I hope that in the next conversation with your partner, he can hear this about the richness of going into the past. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have him look into this podcast, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Dear Chad, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!